It's everyone's favorite show about all things Utah. A show where four hosts, and sometimes a guest, discuss whatever they want regarding Utah, and mostly stay on topic. It's the new Utah Podcast, with your hosts, Bree, Chris, Jeremy, and Jessica. Well, it's episode 250 of the new Utah Podcast, um, coming at you uh, from the same place we always record. Um, my studio, my house. Uh, Jess is on Skype. We've got a, a great show for you today. Um, we're going to talk to uh, Alliance for um, Better Utah uh, or BetterUtah.org is, is really their website. We're going to talk to their communications director. Uh, I about, love them. Yeah, uh, I didn't realize how cool some of their tools were. Uh, like the the bills that they follow and stuff like that. It makes it really easy to follow what what the bill is, what's happened with it, whether they're for or against the bill. Um, they have like action buttons for some bills where you can actually do something to take action. Um, I thought it was really cool. It's a, similar to what you can get on the legislative website, but... Um, easier, such easier an easier format, yeah. And not that our what legislative website is super difficult, to be honest. It's actually pretty pretty easy to move around. It's a little bit harder to understand like where to see like votes and committee status and stuff like that. Uh, and they kind of clean that up, which is really nice. Um, but that's neither here nor there. 250 episodes. We're getting close to five years. Getting close. We're going to get a month and a half or something like that, I think, uh, for five years. What are we going to do? Are we going to have like a... Cause by we that actually point, have a very, a very a guest that I've been working for for two years joining us that night. Nice. Sweet. Is it Kurt Russell? <laughs> Kurt Russell. That's the name you decided to pull that's off just randomly. The, that's just the one that, that came was to mind. So <laughs> I don't know why. Oh, well, it's going to be May 25th for all of you people who are wondering. So that's yes. that's the magical Mayday, number. May 25. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. No, May Day is actually May 1st, but yeah. <laughs> it, it'll be it'll be uh, whenever my calendar says it is, which I believe Bree is probably looking at a calendar date. So. May 25th will be the five-year anniversary. I was just wondering, like, would we uh, will we do, like, a big party for ourselves um, and, like, you know, do a stadium event or something? Because those are coming soon to fireworks. a Fireworks? Can we have fireworks? Uh, Logan's redoing their fireworks, apparently. We can have fireworks on Jeremy's new... Sidewalk of fire. Yeah, because now he's got lots of sidewalk. <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm interested to see what's going to happen with... We've been ta- I've been talking about this because it impacts my, my business uh, quite a bit. Um, with like COVID testing and COVID number spikes with places like Texas being like, yep, fuck it, we're done. COVID's over, guys. No masks. All the businesses are open. I want 90,000 fucking people in the football stadium. I want my 15 15 states that are that way right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Utah, Utah. Look, I'm, I'm all for reopening as much as possible. I think that We've talked about this. I, I, there's no reason to to have the mask mandate be tied to reopening uh, an economy or reopening businesses. Um, and I think people are too stupid to understand that they should be wearing masks. But I'm really curious what the numbers are going to look like. Because, mm-hmm. uh, like, you know, the state of Utah did, you know, April April 15th, I think, or April 16th, it's going to go away. Well, magic- April 10th, yeah. So down in Utah County, we're going to see some huge spikes probably three to four weeks after that. So the beginning of May, like around our around our five year anniversary, we're going to see big enough spikes that maybe we'll have mask mandate again. We'll see. So my my understanding is that it hasn't been decided on yet. That 
April 10th would be the date, but the governor has not approved that. I guess he has to sign that, right? Yes. He'd yep. have to sign that legislation for that to go into effect. So uh, hopefully uh, Mr. Cox says that. What, what do you keep doing with your camera? You keep turning it like a ghost, and I'm the only one that can see it. <laughs> I have ghosts in my house. It might just be that. Ever, you're like like moving around, and then you like turn green, and then like move around again. Like you're... Like, I feel like I'm on an acid trip with all the tracers I'm seeing. You might be. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, Jeremy, you got an update on your rat situation? Because you got a lot of rats. I do. So, over the weekend, uh, we're, we're cleaning up from all the concrete work, working in the yard. The rats are getting daring enough that we can see them running out from the chicken coop to the compost, getting stuff out of the compost and running back. So, Brighton goes and gets his pellet gun. And they, the, the kids kind of set up camp around it. As the rats run out, they were shooting them. They wiped out eight rats this weekend. Eight? Yep. Oh, it's my God. definitely Templeton and his family. That is so many rats. It's not like, where are they nesting? I don't know. Because they're not nesting in your chicken coop. And, and it's they, not they like you have that filled anymore. Do you think, because you have all that fill up against that back wall, all the dirt from the, I think that's like their path. But you don't think they're down inside the dirt somewhere? You think they've got a nest somewhere else? Yeah, because there's three, my, my house and the next two, so three so of which, us. So which one of your, your neighbors in the old part of the neighborhood, not the shiny new neighborhood that won't have, like, fucking sheds they don't pay attention to in the back? Which one of them has, like, mm-hmm. old-ass sheds in the back that those rats could be living in? Two houses down. <sighs> Is what I'm thinking. Like, is there any, like, serious serious question, is there any recourse, like, in terms of, like, calling the city or the county to, like, come out and do that? Like, eight rats, because I've seen pictures of these rats. They're fucking huge rats. That's eight rats. And you've already killed, I don't know how many. That's a serious problem. Like, that's a serious infestation that's going on. I'm thinking that's. Three houses down is what I'm thinking. Wow. You think it's like their pet rats are just like, I can't deal with this anymore, and they fucking just let them out? No, I think it's, I'm I'm positive there was a big rat's nest somewhere back in the field, and then as they slowly started building the neighborhood behind us, they kept migrating and migrating, and now it's to the point where they're all in one basic area, but we got to wipe them out before they have babies. Because they're just eating chicken feed. Like, they've yeah. got free food. Your your compost heap and chipping chicken feed are just, like, totally So I redid the chicken. Game. I have my big chicken feeder, but I stopped doing that because I keep seeing them going in and out of it. So I went back to the old one that hangs from the ceiling so they can't reach it. So they can't get into so it. So I think that's part of why they were so active is I took away their food supply. Oh, and so they were trying to get out of the compost. Yep. Have you ever thought about putting a lid on those compost boxes so they can't get into them? They, they'll just burrow. They can just burrow underneath. underneath. Yeah. But yeah, eight. That's insane. Eight. That's wild. Over the weekend. That is crazy. <laughs> they're big, too. They're not small. Yeah, they're not little. They're not little mice. They're big-ass the rats. rats. That's wild. There's got to be something that you can do to like track them down and, and get rid of Because they're, they're a health risk, right? They're a health oh, problem yeah. to have Saying rats I, like that. Because of the chickens and the dogs, I don't want to use... Yeah, you can't use poisons. Poison, no. So I've got traps out, but that was a pretty successful weekend That's with pelicans. Pelicans, <laughs> man. So maybe I'll come over on Sunday and some just target hang practice, out and have a beer in the backyard, and shoot some fucking stupid ass rats. <laughs> My daughters would kill me if they heard this. They they would be like, "Why would you kill them? You can humanely get rid of them." I've tried. Yeah, yeah, I, I have tried. 
because I have live traps. I've they, tried. They just fucking get out of them most of the time. But, Except for stupid Chungus finally got but, caught by one. Yeah, Chungus got caught by one, and then Chungus's cousin. That's got, why I'm I'm I, I don't believe that you that there was one rat that you were seeing. You killed uh, eight. There's no way it was just the one. Like no, yeah, no, I'm positive. With the more we keep catching, it's like holy crap. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of fucking rats. By the way, they don't just have sex once a year. They're having sex and making babies now too. Like that, that's not just a springtime thing when they have a uh, shelter and, and food source. It doesn't only happen once a year with no, rats. No, I know that. But with, with spring coming, it's it's oh yeah much more. Oh, yeah. So that was my weekend. <laughs> I got to tell you. So I, I uh, today I finally talked to the dogs and links guy and got a link, uh, a hot link from him. Uh, the Jess has been telling me I needed to try forever. He apparently she's been telling him that I, I need to try it forever too because he knew that I was gonna be there. Like I'm like, yeah, my friend Jess works here, and he's like, oh, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, really? Um, yeah, it was. Uh, I didn't have a whole lot of time, so I'm really glad I was able to like do it. So I had to come back from Home Depot, and the you know VW South Town's right on my way, and I saw him there, and I stopped in, and I'm, and he's like, "I'm not ready. I'm gonna be ready for a little while." I'm like, "Okay, well, I gotta go do some calls." So I went back to my office, which is really close. Uh, did a couple calls, came back. I had like a less than 15 minute window to get there, get the hot dog, get back and get on another call. And I was able to accomplish that, but then I couldn't like stay and say hi to Jess or even tell her that I was there. Uh, but it, it, review wise, uh, they're really good hot links. They're, they're spectacular. They've got a good crunch, like a good snap. Uh, and the flavor is, is pretty amazing. It's a spicy one or yeah, it it's that? a hot link, but it's not like, it's, it's not, not burn your mouth off. It's, yeah. it's, it's got heat like a, Almost like a really good hot Italian sausage. Like it's a different, yeah, it's a different kind of heat, but it's 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 uh, about that level of like a spicy Italian sausage, uh, and and uh, the chili was pretty good. Um, you know, it wasn't. He said it says award winning chili, and I don't know award he won. Like if it was like, <laughs> the kid's best award, it was good chili. Don't get me wrong, but I I didn't find it spectacular. But I'm kind of a chili snob, so um, and it was a pretty mild chili. I haven't tried the chili yet. But it was the combination, though. As a chili cheese dog, holy crap, that thing was out. It was really, really good. And when I finished, I really just wanted another one. So <laughs> that's a sign of a good place. Next time you'll have to get two. Yeah, I don't it's know, man. Don't Are, they pretty, big? Are they, they pretty big, though? Yeah, I shouldn't have had a second one is the one I'm saying. Oh. So it was good I didn't. But uh, I think if maybe if I wasn't getting the link with chili, maybe I would get two if it didn't have the chili and stuff on it. But. I'll have to try, like, the bay next time, which is the bacon-wrapped one. I got the big boy, so I got the everything. Oh, it's you did? Okay. Chili, The cheese. fat G. Uh, no. Did you get the one bacon-wrapped? Because that's yep. the fat G with bacon chili Bacon-wrapped hot link with chili and cheese. That's the fat G, yep. Yeah, that was good. That was really <laughs> good. Well, I figured if I was going to try it, I'd try the whole shebang, so. Right. Uh, so, anyway, that was, uh, I, I thought I'd report yeah. on that. Nice, nice. The the trailer is even smaller than I I am like because I've seen it and like but walking up to it, it's tiny. It's yep. room for him to stand inside and like grab stuff out of the like compartments, and the grill is um, welded onto the end of it. It's mm-hmm. not like separated. It's like welded onto the end, and he's got two propane tanks sitting right under it. So I mean, really nice little design for a hot dog trailer. Nice. Yeah. So it's delicious. 
Anybody else have anything fun this weekend? Jess, your geode cake looked pretty cool. I saw oh, that. Thanks, I don't know Chris. if that was this weekend. I appreciate weekend. that. It was this weekend, and my delivery was for a a gender announcement party. It wasn't a gender reveal cake. It was just for the party, and I drove. They live in Harriman, and I was just thinking, like, like Rosecrest area. Oh no, it was like clear up in the foothills. I didn't even know there were houses that existed over there. Yeah. And I was like, but there, none of them have neighbors. And I was like, I ain't gotta move over here. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing. Really <laughs> Except for until cheap. the hill catches on fire. Oh no, it's they're not, not cheap. cheap. We've got we go hiking up there sometimes, and uh, those houses are multi million dollar homes. His was, I think he paid like 600000 for his. Yeah. And it's like this 80s cabin. It's super awesome. <laughs> but it was, yes. So I have another cake this week. And uh, yeah, getting my vaccine this week. Very exciting. Excellent. Yes. Benefits of being fat. <laughs> This week we are uh, joined by Katie Matheson from uh, uh, Better Utah, uh, betterutah.org. Um, the first question I have out of the gate for you, Katie, before I even let you say hi, are you related to the Mathesons of uh, legislative and Utah gubernatorial history? Classic. That's a classic question. I haven't been asked that in a while. Uh, <laughs> So the long answer, it, well, the short answer is kind of. The long answer is they're like distant cousins, but I have never met them. So, okay. so Utah, just because so. your name's the same and you guys probably grew up Mormon in some point in your life. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we are an offshoot of the Mathesons. Just yeah. I don't know any of them personally. We don't have any sweet clans here in Utah, like down <laughs> in, in the south. Like, I mean, we have like Mathesons and we have the Binghams and the Eccles and the, the Sorensons. Yeah, but there's no like there's no like Sorensen Matheson feuds going on. No, that's that's not like the Mathesons and the not the Mathesons, the Hatfields and McCoys. Yeah, yeah none of that. Like the Huntsmans and the Mathesons, like going at each other, the Eccles. Like, what I'd like to see is two like really big philanthropic organizations have a feud. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think that would be great. Right? <laughs> like the Eccles, the North Ogden Eccles could be like the the uh, the the brutal arm of the Eccles family because they are anyway. Yeah, because no one likes the North the North Ogden Eccles. <laughs> yeah, what what America needs right now is a classic feud. That'd be so good. Wouldn't it be like great? It. A shootout or something? Something for everyone to pay attention to to distract us from the stupidity that's going on everywhere else. Um, sorry, I, I actually, Katie, I've, I've, I, you know, I follow, uh, I follow Better Utah uh, quite a bit. I get all of the emails that Chase supposedly writes, um, but at hey, least Katie, write, Katie writes them. Yeah, I'm guessing I'm she right. probably <laughs> writes almost all of them because <laughs> she is the communications director. <laughs> <laughs> Chase's name gets stamped to some though, but I, I, you know, I see all that stuff. And this was actually when I was prepping for this today, I was like, oh, her last name is Matheson. I wonder if she's like in some way related to the other political Mathesons that have been, you know, uh, political icons, if you will, in the state. But yeah, so. well, the funny thing is, I didn't know, like, I knew about the Governor Matheson and Jim Matheson, like, kind of, it was kind of peripheral, but I got involved in politics through activism, because I was mad about something. And which is classic, like, that's exactly the way people should get involved in politics. <laughs> um, 
And, uh, and then people kept asking me if I was related to the Mathesons. And in fact, the first op-ed I ever wrote for the Salt Lake Tribune was about Mia Love and how she wouldn't hold town halls because at the time I lived in the fourth district. And the, um, the editor, uh, George Pyle wrote me back and was like, okay, I have to ask, are you related to Jim Matheson? Because that's important if I'm publishing an op-ed about you criticizing the oh, that's true. <laughs> I didn't even think about that connection. Yeah. So, and then I found out later, like after I was like heavily involved in activism that my uncle had been involved in, um, like politics years ago in Utah and I had no idea. So so Here we are. Blood. It's yeah, it's in my blood. blood. And I also found out on my mom's side, I am a Phelps. Um, my mom's, uh, my my maternal grandmother's maiden name is Phelps. And uh, W.W. Phelps, who, if you're LES, he's written a lot of hymns that you know of. He was also the first speaker of the house in Utah. So on both sides, it, I come by my interest in politics, honestly. When you said Phelps, what hit me actually was Michael Phelps. I'm like, do you have web-ish feet? Really well? No, I have no sports talent. So let's be clear about that. I have a better question. I need to know what you were angry about that made you become an activist. So I was angry just like slews of other women. Um, I, well, I was, I was angry about the state of healthcare. Um, I, I had a, I've told this story, so it feels very personal, but I don't want you to feel weird about me telling a very personal story. I had a miscarriage and I was in the hospital on Valentine's day in 2014 and I didn't have healthcare. And, um, I of course was landed with a bunch of medical bills and I realized for the first time there was this guy on TV, this old grumpy man who was talking about healthcare and how people should have healthcare and people shouldn't go into poverty because of their lack of healthcare. Right. And I was like, Oh, that totally speaks to me. So I was super interested in that. Um, and then of course, when Trump got elected, I was mad because, um, I had a two year old son and a two week old son when that happened. And I distinctly recall, um, being up in the middle of the night, breastfeeding my two week old son and being like, okay, so this guy is one and I have a choice ahead of me. I can either do something about it and make a better world for my children, or I can just go on and hope someone else does it. And it was because of that, that I got involved. And then I realized, oh, I live in a really important district on the national stage. I lived Mm -hmm. in the fourth district. And, um, from there, I just, we kept, we organized and, um, we, you know, it turns out Mia Love was scared of her constituents and it was bad for her in an election. So there we go. So I, so I, she also my district as well. What was happening? Because you would get a call after and they were like, sorry, you missed the town hall. And you're like, I wasn't even notified. And then you get Ben McAdams who puts you on the line and is like, Hey, if you want to call in and it was amazing. So where was her disconnect? Yeah. And one of my favorite things was at the one debate um, that they had, I was there in person and she like opened up by saying, I have had like 80 something town halls. And we had previously as an audience been warned not to like make a noise and like the authentic laughter that like burst (laughs) of us could not be contained so much so that was it Rod Decker, whoever it was who was interview mm-hmm. like like running the debate, had to like scold us. He was like, I will remind the audience not to make a sound during the debate. So it was like <laughs> common knowledge by that point that what she was calling a town hall was no such thing. 
So we'll we'll come back to Stupid Me Alive in the Fourth District because I think that's really important to talk about. But I think the more important question is what month were you born in? I was born in July. Okay. October. October. So Halloween baby. Beginning or end of July? Right in the middle, the fifteenth. All right. So you're a cancer. I am. I know all about cancers. Uh um, I don't like the way that you said that. I don't well, know. I'm a cancer. Means. Jessica and, and Chris are both. Yeah, I was born on the 19th. Oh, okay. On the 25th of July. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all basically Halloween party accidents is the way I see it. <laughs> Jeremy is a Halloween I baby. I am a Halloween baby. <laughs> well, yeah, but you weren't you weren't nope. conceived on Halloween, so you might have been born on Halloween. Don't mess that was up January. the shit. Come on. Cold months of January. You were a winter blues baby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Inversion baby. <laughs> you weren't, a, you weren't a, conceived here. Though. I'd say I was a Valentine's baby, but I was conceived in a test tube, so I don't know how romantic that is. <laughs> Not very. <laughs> I mean, depends on whose perspective. <laughs> the random office uh, assistant that they uh, got the sample from. Maybe that was a pretty <laughs> good, a good Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Day. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's get back. I, I do want to get back though. Let's let's get back to the the question of. Uh, uh, well, let's let's kind of start back, um, not necessarily at your birth, but were you, you were born here in Utah then? Yep, I was born in Provo. My parents met at BYU. Oh. All right, so you had a storied childhood of uh, white Mormon Utah County, I'm assuming? Well, no, because two weeks after my birth, they moved to New York City. So, oh, okay. <laughs> so I lived in New York for a little while. Then we moved back to Utah. My brothers were both born in Salt Lake. Then we moved to California. I lived there for eight years. Then we moved to New Jersey. I lived there for 10 years. And then my husband and I moved back to the state I swore I would never come back to. And here I am. That's a lot of that's a lot of moving around. Uh, that's a, like coast to coast, um, stopping at the, uh, the Zion on the way back. Yeah. Uh, that's, what brought you back? Um, I was pregnant with our first child, and New Jersey was way too expensive. So we came oh, here. Cool. Yeah, we came here where I had family, and we kind of looked at it as like a start over for our new budding family. And it's actually been probably one of the smartest choices we've ever made. I'm really glad that we're here. And so you're looking to stay here long term then? Plant some yeah. solid roots? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we purchased our first home about... It, late no, uh, late 2019, so oh, we are good. here today. Yeah. So it's worth about uh, twice as much now. Uh, we legit <laughs> could not afford our house right now. Like, yeah, I know. <laughs> neither could we. Couldn't afford it. I mean, Salt Lake, Salt Lake in particular. Um, you know, this part of Utah uh, is the number one home value uh, place in the country right now. And actually, the the top five states. I was reading this article well, last week, maybe two weeks ago. The top five states in the country are Utah. Wyoming, Colorado, Idaho, and Montana for home values and like their increase since I think they, I think it was five year, uh, the five year uh, home value increase has almost uh, literally doubled. So what was worth $200,000 five years ago is worth 400000 now. We're really close to that. Yeah, it's, it's absurd. So yeah, that's a good place to live right now if you already own your home. If you're trying to buy a home though, holy shit, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> So did you go to college? And if so, where did you go? Yeah, so I went to college um, at a small music school in Princeton, New Jersey, called nice. Westminster Choir College, not Westminster College. Although, funnily enough, the colors are the same as this Westminster College. <laughs> um, no affiliation. 
No affiliation. Did, did, people, did people ask your parents all the time if you were going to Princeton? Because I got asked all the time if I was going to Princeton since I was in New Jersey going to college. Yes, yes. And I don't know how much my parents <laughs> <laughs> but even like I still like I have the spiel down like I went to college in Princeton not at Princeton because nobody knows that there's another school in Princeton um, or New Jersey <laughs> yeah, I mean do people even know that like Princeton is actually in New Jersey or they just know the name Princeton um, I, yeah I don't know that's in a nice part of New Jersey too it's far away from stinky Newark uh, <laughs> until you get like 20 minutes away to Camden and then you die <laughs> So my favorite thing about New Jersey, my husband was born and raised there in northern New Jersey, right right by New York State. And it's beautiful farm country, gorgeous, lush greenery. And my favorite thing is that everybody outside of New Jersey thinks that it's all Jersey City or Newark because that's where they all fly into. And in reality, it's a stunning, beautiful state. So oh, I um I, I won't I won't disillusion you otherwise, but like my in laws live right on the Appalachian Trail. So yeah, I mean once you get outside of once you get outside that that Tri Cities area, you get away from Newark and 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 Brunswick, like East Brunswick. It's just beautiful. It's called the Garden State for a reason. Yeah, I spent a lot of time in New Jersey, in Fleming, in Red Bank, in those areas, yeah. very yeah. different areas, but. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you know what? The one thing we miss the most about the East Coast is the food. My husband bagels. is a big foodie. Oh, the bagels. So my husband <laughs> is Italian, Jersey, uh, Jersey Italian, and uh, he has uh, he, he's a he's an amazing cook. And he, you know, he's very sad about um, he's very sad about some of the food here. Although I will say that we're really impressed. Like, I feel like every month, like a new amazing restaurant pops up and it's it's great. So. Who were we talking with about that the, a few weeks ago? Was it uh, the food evangelist, whatever his name is? I can't the culinary evangelist. Yeah. What's his name? Yeah. Uh, about how Jeff diverse? Lee. Yeah, yeah. About how diverse the Utah food scene is, and that it's you know it rivals places like San Francisco in terms of diversity and and quality of food. Um, if you guys miss, I, I will give you a, a a a place to go to. If you miss like good like New York style pizza. There's a place up on uh, 33rd and like 27th East called Big Apple Pizzeria. It is true New York style pizzeria pizza. It's fantastic stuff. It's definitely we've worth the. Been there. I've heard about it, but I, we've never we've never been. Yeah, that's it's the most New York like actual true New York style like big flat thin pieces of huge pizza that you can roll up and. Yeah, you have to fold them over. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the kind of pizza that place serves. So And bagels, if you want bagels, two places that serve New York style bagels. Strusel, Salt Lake City, and Cheryl's bagels. Like legit the best bagels I've had since I've left New Jersey that are the closest. And Cheryl's actually a transplant from back there, so she knows what she's doing. I saw this um I didn't read the whole thing, but I saw this article in the trib at some point recently that was like the East Coasters are bringing their bagels. Yep, I believe that she was part of that <laughs> article. <laughs> isn't part of the like East Coast bagel thing though, isn't part of that like the, the actual water? water yeah. That, yeah, that's bagels. Yeah, so I think that's why it's so hard to replicate that anywhere else. Um I, to me they're bootlegging just, in uh, Brooklyn water. Yeah, just go get some, like, Einstein's bagels. Like, You're good, right? Oh, no, yeah. stop. <laughs> um, okay, so so you're you're here in Utah. You you know, you went to choir college. Um, what did you study? Choir? <laughs> choir? 
Same. Okay, when you put it that way, it was rocket like science. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a brain surgeon. Um, no, I um, I did vocal performance. So I w- trained to be an opera singer, and I also took some piano classes. So when we first moved here, so we moved here. I moved here 2014. So when we first moved here, I became a cantor at the Cathedral of the Madeline in downtown Salt Lake. So if you've ever heard any Christmas or mm-hmm. Easter services there or any random weekend services during the 2014 to like 2017 ish, uh, time period, you might've heard me sing there. Um, so that uh, was my, how's, how's that experience singing in that cathedral? Cause it, it's weird, right? It, you have to learn how to sing in there, right? Because I had to, my cantor for my wedding had to learn how to sing in the cathedral. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what your training is. Um, I've sung in big cathedrals like that before, so it wasn't as wild to me. The bigger, the bigger question is always like where the organ is and where you are. Cause there's such a, there's a time lag. Right. Um, but I mean, yeah, like it, it's a, it's a certain skill, just like if you're singing with a microphone, it's a certain skill. Um, um, but I, I personally find it incredibly rewarding. It's like if you're singing in like a bathroom that's, you know, all <laughs> piles. like everybody sounds good in the bathroom, right? Like when you're singing and it's the same thing, you know, in a cathedral, those spaces are meant to amplify voices um, prior to, you know, they were established prior to microphones. So that was their job was to take one voice and amplify it all the way down. I mean, I will, I have to say like the cathedral of the Madeline is a stunning, stunning piece of art. And if you haven't been inside, you should go inside. You don't need to be Catholic to go inside. It's, um, it's beautiful, the inside. Um, and the services that they have are, are stunning, especially around the holidays. So um, it was a very rewarding experience. It just got to the point for me where um, I had a son and I was very pregnant with another son. And singing while you're pregnant is rough. Um, and it just, I got, it got to a point where it wasn't, um, it wasn't rewarding enough for me to continue to do it. And so I wanted my weekends back. So I, I stopped doing it. It was, it was good while it lasted. I actually got married there and, and went to lots of midnight masses because my grandparent, my grandfather was an, a knight of the, of Columbus. And so oh, yeah. I've spent a lot of, a lot of time there. That's why like I had, I wanted my local just parish person to sing because she was just had a beautiful voice and they ended up having to just put her up by the um the organ because it was just the time frame that she i mean it was a year i knew i was getting married for a year because you kind of have to book it out there but um like she just couldn't it was just too hard for her to figure that out she was super super young she was just like a 15 year old girl trying to learn how to do this and so finally they're like we're just going to stick you out by the organ so there's no mm-hmm. time gap and you can just sing with the organ. And it was, I mean, just just going in there is an experience, but actually having an experience like your wedding or something like that in there, just it just amplifies how special whatever it is you're doing is because you're just in this big, gigantic, like you said, it's just a big, gigantic work of art. So whatever it is you're doing, you're doing it in a piece of art. Yeah, it's it truly is. That's awesome that you were able to get married there. It is it is a stunning, stunning location, and they really have a great um, if they have a great tradition of music at that at church, um, which is is kind of rare. I think in Utah there are a few churches that have that older tradition of music, um, and so it, it was. I mean, and Easter's coming up. I don't know if they're holding public 
services this year, but in the future, when they do hold public services post COVID, when we're all vaccinated, um, definitely encourage people to go. So you stopped singing at the cathedral, uh, and then did you just jump right into better Utah? Uh, no. So I, I was, you know, teaching music for a while, um, in people's homes. And then I taught at a school up in park city. And, um, during that time I was getting more involved politically and in an, in the activist world. So I was in the activist world for what a, a year and a half, pretty like actively doing activist stuff. Um, and then, um, I was one of the, board members for Alliance for Better Utah was also in the coalition that I had been, that I had formed. And he and I were talking, he was a communications professional. And I told him that I was really interested in getting into communications work. It's something I'd always been interested in, but never got a formal education in. And, you know, he kind of, you know, talked me through it. And then one day he sent me a message and he's like, look, this job is opening up and I think you'd be great for it. Like his, he had been assigned to find a communications director for the organization um, because their previous, uh, person had left. And so they put me through this brutal, like, like month long plus interview process because I was new and I didn't have a formal education in it. Um, but then I got hired in December of 2017 and I've been with them ever since. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what, um, I mean, I, I know a, a bit about Alliance for a Better Utah. I, I kind of follow a lot of the stuff that you guys do. But for someone who's never heard of you before or, or never engaged with you guys before, what do you guys do? What do you exist for? <laughs> Why do you exist? Um, <laughs> we So we are a progressive advocacy and political accountability organization. So what those big words mean is that we are a pain in the butt to political <laughs> politi politicians, and uh, we advocate for policies that we believe will make Utah better. So um, we just came off of 45 days in Utah's legislative session. Um, it ended on Friday. We spent the whole day, you know, oh, excuse my child screaming in the background. We, we spent, um, you know, in a non-pandemic year, we would spend every single day on the Hill with the legislators. This year we did it all virtual. Um, but our kind of goal um, is to translate politics for people who don't have time to read a 500 page bill, um, which you don't get 500 page bills very often, if ever in Utah, that's more federal stuff, but like, it's still complicated language that we try and make accessible to the average person. And frankly, as our state continues to grow and change, lawmakers can't continue to legislate the way they have in the past because it's not going to work. Like um, old policies and old legislate uh, legislative uh, habits um, likely will not continue to serve our state well. And so we're in the interest of making sure that, you know, things like, um, you know, making sure that kids have food, that families have access to health care, that we can breathe our air, that, you know, we're not distracted by Mr. Potato Head and instead we're doing things like, you know, making <laughs> pay their rent, you know, stuff like that. So that's the, that's the, kind of short summary of what we do. So how, how often are you finding that you have to explain the 200 to 500 page bills to the actual legislators themselves? Because <laughs> I know a lot of them don't read the bills either. I mean, you can't. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, from, from a federal standpoint, like the COVID relief package, it's a couple thousand pages. There's no way in hell any of those people have read all couple thousand pages. Yeah, so we don't deal a lot. We we almost never touch federal stuff. Um, 
So, so we don't really have any connection or relationship with any of our federal lawmakers. And in fact, the fact that we're even talking like long term about a, a fun campaign surrounding Mike Lee is like big for us. We don't usually do that kind of stuff. Um, so I would say that on a, we don't, I mean, we're not, I'm even talking at like a local level, like seriously, like, you know, how often do you have to go in and, and sit down with a, a stupid Mike Noel? Um, I can say that <laughs> by the way, cause I think he's an idiot. Uh, but you have to sit down with him and say, okay, let me explain this 400 page bill that's sitting on your desk. Um, well, Mike Noel, thankfully, is no longer in office, but yes. we we don't typically explain the bills to lawmakers because luckily Utah doesn't have allow omnibus bills. So every bill is one issue at a time. Oh, um, the, the bigger thing that we are doing is more like pointing out ways in which this will impact the community that they maybe haven't thought of. And oftentimes it's not like direct connection with lawmakers like our interest is the public. And if the lawmakers find out because they're looking where we're talking in the public, that's great. And I mean, like on occasion, we will like, you know, call somebody or text somebody like, oh, this looks really, really bad. Um, And on issues that we're particularly um, versed in, um, you know, they might like we might say something to them. Usually more it's like, here's the issue with this bill. And here's the way that we think that you should communicate it. Right. Because a lot of lawmakers are smart people. And the problem with smart people is they don't know how to dumb stuff down for the rest (laughs) of us. And it's not because the rest of us are dumb. It's because we're busy, you know, so finding ways to explain to the public the very complicated process that is happening uh, or, or like legislation that is happening on the Hill um, is kind of a shift that I think, um, you know, we as a state, like people who are involved politically, not the people in the nonprofit space, we're all kind of learning how to shift um, the language that we use. So it's more accessible to everyone. You guys have created like, oh, sorry, Chris, I just wanted to say we usually use like the legislative page when we're talking on our on our show. But you guys have created an amazing bill tracker. Um, so my my first part of my question is, when did that start? And then how do you choose what bills you guys are going to put call to actions on? Yeah, so we started tracking like doing an official bill tracker on our website. Uh, I mean, it's been since I was here. So maybe the last two or three years. Um, and we pick bills based on, I mean, the way that a lot of nonprofits work is that they're issue focused. So if I am Utah clean air or, you know, heal, whatever it is, Sorry, guys, I, you're my friends. I promise. I just can't remember. If I am like an, uh, an environmental organization, I'm, you know, I'm talking about all the issues, like those specific issues. If I am, you know, Planned Parenthood, I'm talking about reproductive rights and or, um, you know, pro-family, pro-woman type policies. Um, and we kind of deal with all of them. And so we've sifted everything into four categories. It's sustainable future, which is environmental type stuff. It's uh, strong communities, which is stuff like healthcare, safe schools, um, guns, stuff like that, um, education. And then uh, there's uh, equal rights, which is, you know, self-explanatory and then good government, which is also self-explanatory. And sometimes we'll do a call to action because um, we think it's a really scary bill and it needs to like lawmakers need to hear about it. Or sometimes it's because it's something that needs to be talked about and nobody else really has that issue within their purview. So that, that, that shows up a lot on stuff like good government, ethics reform, um, redistricting type stuff, 
um, power grab type bills or like the slow libertarian creep of the legislature, all of those types of things um, we try to put calls to action on. And sometimes like we're a small staff, so things unfortunately fall under the radar, but we do our best to um, to catch as much as we can. And so the process is really like our policy director, um, Lauren, um, and her interns read through all the bills and they keep it in a, a tracker um, and on an Excel sheet. And then she and her interns kind of sort them into where they think that they go. And then some, the staff kind of just votes on questionable bills. Like, how do we feel about this? The reality is that there's a good argument for, there's a good argument against and how, like, where do we fall? And we have these, you know, important backroom conversations <laughs> that made it sound super like nefarious, but just important conversations <laughs> as a staff about um, where we fall on the bills. Excellent. Excellent. So how do you, when you guys do find something that you want to spend a little bit more energy on, I mean, you guys have stories that you guys post, um, you know, you have press releases that you put out there and, and sometimes you are at the forefront of breaking something, uh, crazy or insane or stupid that's occurring. Um, how do you find those stories and, and really help propel them into some sort of, um, you know, essentially viral, if you will, uh, uh, acceptance in the community. So people are, are made aware of them quickly. Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> I mean, like a part of it is trying to figure out who our audience is and, and you figure out who your audience is based on the change that you want to see. So the reality is that, for example, I mean, are you talking about accountability stuff or law stuff? Because those are in some ways the same, but also kind of different. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think you know really uh, um, both because <laughs> right. you guys have you guys have been able to help break stories that you know, um, for instance, uh, John Swallow's crap John that Swallow. went down. Yeah, you know that he got away with. <laughs> yeah, so I wasn't here during the John Swallow debacle. So I can't give the specifics on that. I would say in general, I mean, people send us tips. Sometimes my favorite thing is, you know, sometimes people like to, you know, like dump on us as an organization because we're an accountability organization. And sometimes people don't like it. Um, but the reality is that we have been contacted by Republicans, Democrats, you know, far left, far right, everywhere in between people who want stories out, you know, that, that need to be out. I mean, it does, it's not happening all the time, but it has happened. Um, and so sometimes we'll get tips. Sometimes we'll just like, we spend an unhealthy amount of time on social media and the amount of <laughs> stuff that lawmakers put on there is like pretty flabbergasting. Um, so, you know, sometimes we'll just, you know, scroll and see something and we'll screenshot it and send it to press. Um, that's what happens a lot of the time. And sometimes it's just that we are in a committee room with five other people when a lawmaker says something that's theoretically and technically a public meeting, but nobody is there to hear it. And so we contact press and say, did you like this? There's a recording of it. Go listen. This is what was just said. And then, and then we'll, um, you know, we'll blow it up that way. And recently we've joined TikTok, much to every millennial on our staff's chagrin. Um, and it's been amazing the, the, the thirst that that audience has for this information that they simply didn't know. And it kind of shows you how much um, overwhelm of information can be just as good at hiding stuff as keeping things behind closed doors. And so, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I mean, things like that, uh, the the recordings, like a lot of people don't realize 
every one of those meetings is recorded and publicly available and you can just go listen after they happen. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the committee hearings, floor time, you can go listen. Utah actually has a great legislative website. Um, it's really user friendly. I will say that when big, big, big decisions are made, they're made behind closed doors Mm -hmm. in the Republican majority caucus meetings. And if you, so caucus meetings are just like party meetings and you don't have to open them to the public. Um, and because the Republicans have a super majority in, on the Hill, which means it's more than two thirds, they don't have to include any Democrat or the public in their decision making that happens behind closed doors. They whip the votes behind closed doors. They come out, they vote on it. That's how the Inland Port was born. So, well, and, and the medical marijuana that the people voted for, but then they went behind closed doors and shot it down. Oh, yeah. Just changed it completely. Yeah, they they um, they made a lot of adjustments to that. So I, I kind of want to stay on that line of thinking because I think this is this is a really important year for us with the census data coming out. Um, you know, we we did pass the same year we we passed the referendum for uh, medical marijuana. We also passed a, a constitutional amendment to um, put a put together a nonpartisan committee or a bipartisan committee uh, to help draw redistricting lines. Um, and my thought the whole time was that that was going to they they changed three of the four things that the people voted for in one session, and I thought for sure this one was coming. Um, I, I'm really kind of curious what your guys' thoughts are. Um, in all likelihood, Utah's going to get another seat uh, in, in Congress would be my guess. I think that our population's moved enough that we might actually get another seat, and lines will have to be redrawn for districts. So how involved are you guys in that process so that it doesn't continue to be more and more gerrymandered? Because we're seeing an increase in diversity in the state of Utah, especially in the more populous areas where it's not all Republican and maybe we can start to shift the table in the state legislative bodies where it's not a super majority, even though it'll still be a majority. Yeah. So to clarify really quickly, um, you, we had four initiatives, but then one became a, a compromise. Um, and so that wasn't an initiative. That was the school funding one, which was like the gas tax increase. Um, so that one didn't actually end up on the ballot. So it was really just three propositions, props two, three, and four. And proposition four was already messed with. It was um, in 2019. Um, and it was at the very end of the session, and it was very quiet. And that's probably why you didn't hear about it. And a lot of people didn't. In fact, former lawmakers didn't know that it had happened. Um so what they did is they basically took out <laughs> all of the um, transparency and accountability requirements for the um, Utah legislature. And yeah, I mean, not surprising. Um, so yes, we are involved. Yes, we are looking forward to it. Um, last I heard, Utah probably won't be getting a fifth district, although that had been a rumor for quite a while. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a big deal. And because of this horrible, weird storm of COVID plus census plus redistricting, um, the process is going to be really truncated. Usually we would get our census data, I think. We would have already had it usually. Yeah. yeah. And, and now we're going to be getting it September 28th or something like that. So, um, and new districts like in practice really need to be drawn by like the end of December. Um, and so what this means is going forward, I mean, just for your audience who may not be aware, what, what's going to happen now is there will be kind of two simultaneous tracks happening for redistricting. Um, there will be the Independent Redistricting Commission, which is the commission that was 
voted on by the people and has the people's best interest at heart. Now, there was a lot of skepticism, myself included, about who would actually be appointed to this commission and whether or not it would be legit. Um, I think two of the individuals sitting on the commission aside, I actually have a lot of faith in the commission. I think that Governor Cox, um, for all of his shortcomings, took it seriously. And I think he named a really great chair of the commission. So I, I feel pretty good about the maps that the commission will put out. I I have confidence in the majority of their dedication to making the process open and accessible and really taking into account what the public says. Um, and then on the other side is the legislature. They have appointed their own committee and they will do their horse and pony show like they always do. And then if the last redistricting, hap- what happened the last time happens again, this time they will get a map from some national organization and they will implement that map. Um, and so the, so the people have recourse and we can, um, we can make sure that we do get fair maps, but what it takes is um, people showing up, people, you know, conversing, people getting involved in the process. Because um, if I can get on my soapbox a little bit longer here, the, the point of redistricting is that if you care about clean air, if you care about health care, if you care about reproductive rights, if you care about LGBTQ rights, if you care about immigration rights, if you care about um, economic policy, if you care about housing you have to care about redistricting because redistricting informs how we are represented in the legislature. It informs who is there making the decisions for all of us. It's a big deal and it's worth being involved. Yeah. I mean, redistricting wise, like, you know, when I think about the, the kind of gerrymandering that goes on here, it's certainly not as bad as some of the maps that I've seen, especially in the South, um, you know, where they have like, a street where they go up the side of one street for four miles and then grab a small like conglomerate of five houses at the end. Um, in Utah, it's, you know, it's a little bit wider than that, but you know, the people at fourth district is a, is a great district uh, as an example, right? Like there's no reason that the person representing most of Salt Lake County or a good chunk of Salt Lake County should also be representing a farmer down in Juab County. There's like no reason that that representative should be, you know, unless there's no other choice because I live in Wyoming, but then there's no Salt Lake City in Wyoming. Um, But there's no business that those two kind of communities should really be together. And I I just think it's difficult to have a representative, you know, at the national level, uh, a representative that is representing uh, those two very different districts. It makes it very difficult to make decisions that are actually – you know, in the best interest interest of your constituents. Uh, so it, those those maps are always very difficult for me. But it's even you know even in in bigger parts like like Salt Lake County itself and identifying state house districts. I mean those those get redrawn and you end up with neighborhood spreads where you have like three blocks get left out in Sandy because they're they're much more liberal leaning and now suddenly that vote becomes a Republican vote. Yeah. I mean, I live in Ogden now and I am represented by someone, my, you know, my state rep is, um, part of Ogden kind of cut out some of these neighborhoods <laughs> and move around this neighborhood. And then we're going to pull in all of, uh, the Valley over here, which is much more rural, much more conservative. And we're just going to dilute these more urban left-leaning votes with these more Republican, um, you know, uh, as they would say, quote unquote, moral voters, um, which was, by the way, an argument that was made in the last redistricting that 
the, um, the moral people of rural Utah need to, um, to, to be, you know, their votes need to be mixed in with the votes of the, uh, I guess the implication was less moral, like Salt Lake City. <laughs> That's how we get someone like Burgess Owens, though, that just doesn't represent anybody and has no clue what's, what's going on because you've got that weird rural vote that is just always going to vote Republican and also gets that, I don't know, they get the, you know, I'm, I'm also supporting our, our black community by voting for this person when really... Was he the best person? No. Has he has he made any kind of impact? No. Has he done anything unexpected, helpful, good, bad, otherwise? No. He's just a lump of flesh that's going to be occupying a seat that we can hopefully get out <laughs> as soon as as soon as his time's up. Yeah, I mean the Burgess Owen phenomenon is wild, um, and I mean a part of it is like it's not just rural Utah; it's also uh, that Utah County um, fixed their voting access problem, which is always a good thing. And it just ter- happened that they did it right before an election that turned out a lot of super hardcore conservatives because a white nationalist was on the ballot. So you know, like sometimes you know, I, I mean, it, it, it's frustrating, um, and I'm hoping that. I mean, the guy voted against the the, the COVID relief bill, which um, I don't know if you all have seen, but estimates are saying that that bill will cut U.S. child poverty in half. Yep. So, I mean, to just, be fair, every Republican basically voted against it. Not so. basically every Republican. <laughs> yeah. So, so in, to his credit, it's not like he was any different than the rest of our representatives. Right. That's true. Um, so I, I hope to see some ads sometime soon with like Burgess Owens and or all of the Utah's Republican delegation are pro childhood poverty because they voted against the bill. <laughs> <laughs> so, that would favorite. be good. But we still elect Mike Lee, so I just don't understand Ooh. how you're going to see any kind of repercussion from that. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I mean, uh, truthfully, at the uh, at the national level, even at the state level, the amount of complete partisan movement and and i don't care if it's on the democratic side or the republican side the stimulus bill is a prime example of it's completely partisan 100 percent. there's not a single person crossing lines in either body really and it's 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 kind of insane to me that we're at this point where it just it just doesn't happen and we're starting to see more and more you know even in our own state legislative body, the same thing happened. And we have the supermajority. And what you say about closed doors is 100% true. The the stuff that actually gets passed has the, – the debate in committee and the debate on floor doesn't mean anything, honestly, at the end of the day. That's where the public gets to see some brief chunk. But it's all dealings that happen behind closed doors that aren't aren't privy to public information. Um, and, and it's, it's really kind of sad to start to see that divide now creep into more and more policies, you know, in, in, in the state of Utah, you know, we get yeah. to conceal carry without a permit now. Pretty stoked about that. <laughs> yeah. Some people are just so afraid in their daily lives that they think that they can't exist without having, you know, a gun on them and God forbid, you know, they put a coat on like that was the legitimate argument about that bill was what if I'm open carrying and then I put a coat on because the weather changes and then I'm concealed carrying. It's like, well, like if you have a gun on you, you should (laughs) (laughs) my favorite part of this, though, is actually I think Utah is going to see we'll probably see an issue because we we had a a good chunk of money coming into the state for concealed carry permits because ours are so easy to get. 
I, I wonder what that's going to look like since we removed the requirement for a permit in the state to conceal carry. I wonder how that's going to impact our concealed carry permit uh, acquisition. I know a lot of that's out of state people though, because our permit's good in so many places. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, we'll, we'll see. I think I saw numbers like 1700 people a year are declined, like are the, who are not supposed to have weapons for one reason or, or another are, you know, uh, get sifted out through in Utah through the um, concealed carry permit process. Um, I mean, you know, the Utah legislature says out front, uh, you know, the, the way that I've been looking at it is like, um, women, women, we support women. We need more women in office. And then we're like, okay, well, what about Utah's really high domestic violence rates? And what will that do when we're allowing these people to have weapons on them who shouldn't have weapons? And it's like, oh, no, no, well, you know, man rights or whatever it is. So that, <laughs> but wasn't, there, wasn't there also a bill that had to do with um, domestic, violence. domestic violence and protective orders that didn't go through as well? Um, you're going to have to be more specific. I'm not, I am going to let me there Google a, while you're talking. There was a complete <laughs> rewrite. Well, not a complete rewrite, but a pretty hefty rewrite of domestic violence, um, penalties, uh, for repeat offenders, I believe. Um, I don't know oh, 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 are you talking about, um, Candace Perucci's bill? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Think so she pulled that bill. She pulled oh, okay. it. Because uh, Representative Perucci um, is is a pretty staunch Republican. I disagree with her on a lot of things, but she she is also not one of those dug her heels in types. And she was presented some serious issues with her bill, including from victims' rights advocates and victims um, or survivors themselves. And she what and, and she said it. She said on Twitter, she said, "Look, I, I'm pulling this bill. It's not right." And it's not right and not in that like it's not morally right, but like the bill itself is not what it needs it's to be. Not, she was, right. And, and, and she brought it forward for uh, the reason that someone should bring a bill forward, which was because she had a constituent who brought her an issue and she ran a bill like that's that's where they should come from. You want bills from constituents, not from, you know, out of state, big money interests. Um, and, and she acknowledged when she got it wrong. So I was we were I mean, that's not one that we were actively working on just because that's yeah, actually that's a case cool. that 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 doesn't need. Help. I mean, it's a pretty robust um, yeah. advocacy world in Utah, which is good. Um, it's bad because we need it in Utah, but but she listened, and so I was really glad to to see that. So, I, I uh, did I bring this up last week? My my thoughts on our part time legislative body. I can't remember what yes, show. Yes, and actually, I had a reporter um, contact us through Twitter that said they used to do more than one session and, yeah, so and nothing stopped. So I was going to actually ask that question so last week. I, 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 I had an idea because you know, the state of Utah, we have 45 days, right? 45 days at the beginning of the year that the legislature gets together and does all of our legislation, which is obscene. There's not, I mean, they, they didn't they change a rule now that they only get five minutes on the floor with bills anyway. That uh, was, a, that was a policy that the house passed and it was five minutes for per person, like for questions and debate. yeah, from like from like yeah. ten minutes. Yeah, but, but that that'll go back. That'll go back to ten once the new session starts. They just okay, so that was just to finish out the session. Yeah, faster. because they want they think that they panic if they're not passing enough bills. So well, and that's that's just it, right? Like so, we, we talked a little bit earlier. Like when there's a huge bill, like it's forty five days to ingest the the literally hundreds of pieces of legislation, some of which are quite sizable and have have pretty big reaching impacts um, and and there are a few mechanisms to to call a special session um, but 
you know, the, the question I, I want to pose is, is it time for Utah to go back to, to, for Utah to go to either a full-time legislature or maybe having, uh, you know, a couple more sessions a year so that is not all, you know, three, four weeks out of the year, just bam, all right at the beginning of the year, we got to get everything done. Well, Utah has interim sessions too. So I think it's every other month for like two days they meet, but they can't pass bills. They can only like study them. So the committees will meet, which is, which is good. Um, but I'm really glad that you're asking this question because it's kind of the opinion of our org, which is an unpopular opinion in a a theoretically pro small government state that Utah's legislative session should start to be longer. Um, we have one of the shortest legislative sessions in the country. We have what is called a citizen legislature, which means that lawmakers are ostensibly these, again, moral upstanding farmers, which, by the way, I have nothing against farmers. I appreciate where my food comes from. <laughs> I just wish that we could, like, expand what we thought of as, like, the moral American. Um, but, like, they would go leave their farm, go to the hill, pass these laws, and then go back to their farm, Right. And the reality is that taking 45 days out of your year, um, plus an extra two plus, you know, however many days in every other month, plus what, like, ostensibly, if you're a good lawmaker, you're connecting with constituents all the time, you're doing press stuff, you're learning, you're reading about stuff, you're, you're learning about the issues that you are passing bills on is a good, I mean, it is a lot, a lot of work. And the people who are able to one, afford it, and two, take the time away from their job and like really dedicate their time to this well are folks who tend to be older, who tend to be wealthier, um, and tend to be white. And as our state continues to change and as we continue to grow, I think that Utah would do well to reconsider what thoughtful, non-sloppy policymaking looks like for a new, bigger, and diverse um, you know, population. Um, it almost sounds like you've said this kind of stuff before. <laughs> I have been, I have been ranting about this for a long time. And, and so I'm really glad that like, I'm not the one to bring it up this time. You are the one. <laughs> well, I, I've been thinking about it a lot over the last few years because. We... Well, and your points last week, Chris, about like ideas change through the year. Like, the the topics change through the year, the things we're focusing on. You brought up like air quality. We're thinking more about air quality, you know, when In October January. Yeah. And and so it would make sense to like be present in those moments. Yeah, that it, it totally makes sense. Um, and also, you know, like to give these bills, the big ones, the amount of time that they deserve and that the people deserve um, requires more talking about it. You know, it requires more public debate. I mean, the amount, you know, there comes a point at the end of the session where they suspend the rules. And so they can take a bill that has never had a committee hearing, lift it from rules committee, which is where bills either go to live or die. And they can take it from there, hop over all the committee hearings, take it to the floor. If they whipped the votes, they can pass this giant bill, which is how we got um, a lot of stuff. We got a lot. I mean, usually it's big stuff, right? And so it's just this kind of like paint, like this pit in the bottom of your stomach, like, oh, God, what are they going to pass? It's how they tried to do the tax legislation last year or two years ago when they were trying to do the big tax overhaul. That's basically how that happened. Like they put that together and at the end of the session, they pulled it out and they tried to do it within like, it was like one week left in the session and there was such a huge public backlash that they lost a lot of their votes. But that's kind of what they tried to do. Yeah, it's, it's, it, 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 it's 
it's policymaking that is sloppy and is unworthy of the people. I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah, but how? I guess the question is, is how to get people to care, though. That seems to be part of the issue. I think, I think people care personally. I think they just don't have the time to devote to do something about it a lot of the time. I think that people have become apathetic because the way that Utah is run and some of the very specific things that you were all just talking about, um, people don't feel like what they have to say matters because when it comes down to it, and I can say this because I am not beholden to anyone. The white male majority, the Mormon white male majority up on the hill can go behind their door. They can all talk about whatever they want to do and they can override whatever anybody has to say. And the governor might be able to veto a bill here or there or whatever, but that's a pretty rare thing. So for someone like me, who's a woman who is not of the majority religion, who is liberal and, and believes that, you know, as long as your rights aren't infringing on someone else's rights, then, then you should be able to do with your body and, 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 and your thoughts with what you will. Um, it doesn't feel like anything that I do matters all of all that much because anything that I've cared about or voted on or, or really had thoughtful repose about just gets screwed over. Like having Burgess Owens get, get voted in when he clearly was a horrible uh, decision or, you know, being really excited about the marijuana bills and, and having a citizen vote and being excited that I signed petitions and getting that stuff pushed through and then having it just trod over because daddy knows best makes people here in this state and other similar states and 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 even across the country in some federal federal ways just feel like why do i care whatever i have to say just doesn't matter yeah and the trick <laughs> the hard thing about doing accountability work is that you stand to burn people out and you stand to make people apathetic because it does feel overwhelming so so here, here's my pitch for why we should continue to be engaged. Before Prop 2, if you were self-medicating with cannabis because you had chronic pain, you, that was illegal. After Prop 2, it is not illegal. Is it harder to get access to it? Is it more expensive than we wanted it to be? Yes. But have we saved people from some serious problems with the law? Absolutely. And can we make it better going forward? Yes, we can. Before Prop 3, there were 70,000-ish Utah families who could not afford health care, who now can afford health care, because people pushed. And with Prop 4, we have an independent redistricting commission, and we can use what they produce to hold the legislature accountable. And Suzanne Harrison, she's a representative. She's from Sandy. She's a Democrat. She is one of the most competent I have so ever amazing that she is like, she's a doctor. Um, she, she's wonderful. And she terrifies the supermajority on the Hill. Um, and she lost her first election by five votes and she won her second election, um, against a well-funded libertarian bro, um, and has been on the Hill 
doing amazing work and speaking up against things like getting rid of the mask mandate on April 10th. She was pleading with her colleagues, right? Ashley Matthews, who is a representative, unseated a Republican man in the House. And now she is a young woman, a young liberal, probably progressive, um, who is there working on behalf of her constituents on the West Side. So it's frustrating. She's 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 ours. We we voted for her. You're so lucky. Um, and so it's frustrating and, and, and the, like the problems are real. Like I don't want to take that away, but what I do want to emphasize is how close some of these elections are and how much, like how much every single person being involved in voting matters. I mean, so like truly like my rep, not this past time, but the election before he won only by like a cup, like about 200 votes or something. That's like an afternoon, two afternoons of knocking doors. Right. So Utah is continuing to change. Well, Utah County, we don't need our people don't even have people running against them. So. Right. And like, and, and it, it depends on where you are. So like hotbeds of change right now are Salt Lake County, um, Weber County, um, you know, parts of Moab, you know, like there are these places that are changing and then Utah County is, <laughs> sorry, that's rough. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> but. But like, but the, like truly, I mean, like, do you guys know who the Eagle Forum is? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like in my mouth a little Satan bit. Satan incarnate and, and Satan incarnate's like public Minions. speaking platform. Yeah, she is. She's an interesting character. If you have, if you don't know. That's such you, a friendly way to put it. Oh, oh yes. Um, she, they, they bring a printer up to the hill during the session, which just is hilarious to me. I don't know why it's so funny to me that they bring a giant printer. Anyway, um, they, they, if you, if you, if your audience doesn't know who they are, go watch Mrs. America on Hulu. You'll get a feel for like the birth of Eagle Forum. Um, but, but she has, she's one of the most powerful unelected people in Utah. And it's not because like, it's because she shows up like she shows up every day and she has shown up consistently for what, 30 years. Like the people who show up get heard. And I know that that's a hard ask because the session, like we've just said, is inaccessible to a lot of people, but there are ways to get involved. And I just don't, I mean, like just like text your representative, like your state level legislator, you can text a lot of them and just have a conversation with them about stuff. I mean, Todd Weiler ran the bill that declared, like it was something about declaring porn a public health crisis, and he oh, ran it. No, one of his constituents kept bothering him about it. Like truly, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So there are. It's frustrating, but also I don't want us to be so disheartened that we become apathetic and we don't engage because Utah is changing, and the people who show up will help change it in the way that they want. So, Katie, how can people get involved with Alliance for a Better Utah? Follow us on our socials at Better Utah. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok and Twitter. Um, And you can go on our website. We just started a campaign, a a big messaging campaign called Humans Against Mike Lee. You can find us um, (laughs) humansagainstmikelee.com. Why is he so stupid? There's swag. <laughs> My problem is that he's not stupid. He's just like nefarious. Although apparently he was called the dumb brother when he and his brother went to law school. <laughs> hey, let me tell you. So I don't know. Did you ever, did you watch the debate uh, that he had with Misty Snow at BYU? No, I didn't watch yeah. that one. So oh, we're going to find it I, and send it to you. Yeah. I challenge you to watch that debate because you have, 
at the point that this debate happened, um, so Missy K. Snow, I don't know if you know much about her campaign, transgender, yeah. uh, running against Mike Lee. No one really gave her a shot because she's a Democrat running for a Senate seat in Utah. Right. Um, Mike Lee hadn't raised a dime, didn't campaign at all, actually had no canceled, nothing. had canceled a lot of his, like, his normal stuff that he would have done. Uh, Cause he had like, he's like, yeah, right. She's never going to, she's never going to actually beat me. Um, so uh, he agrees to this debate shows up at the BYU campus. I'm sure thinking like, yeah, I'm at BYU, like super Mormon, Utah County, uh, super Mormon, like super conservative university uh, debating this transgender woman. And uh, he asked her a question and I can't remember. It's, it's a, a, about a really complicated trade agreement essentially. Uh, and, and they asked, a question about this trade agreement and and misty answers this question and she knows way more than than you can imagine like this is like most people have no idea what what's being talked about and you can actually see the look on mike lee's face when he realizes holy shit this person knows what they're talking about and like the crowd and i'm in trouble yeah the crowd similarly the crowd was like not able to hold back like applause and, and cheers. And she's at a supposedly hostile crowd in a conservative school. It's just a really uh, big testament to, um, you know, how he doesn't take enough stuff seriously, uh, I think. But you can well, really he see did it. Then, just Cause then he campaigned and then he freaking won. But I, I think if that debate, for some reason, if that debate had never happened, he wouldn't, I don't think he would have won. No, oh, yes, he would have. Nah. I think she would have had a much better chance because I don't think he would have woken up to the fact that she was an actual candidate. He just did not see her as a person that could possibly unseat him. But he I probably think didn't a, even see her as a person, let's be honest. Good point, Jessica. Good point. I just think it's a, to me, like it's of all the stuff that I've watched over my life, the political debates and, and, and you know, different things that have happened, that is, there is just a moment where you can, you can just absolutely see on his face just the expression drop of like, oh shit, this person is real and they're not idiots. Like they, they know this complex thing and I don't know what to do now. <laughs> So it's a really cool thing to watch if you're not a fan of Mike Lee to see, you know, where he underestimates someone and just completely gets, you know, shown to town on that debate. Good to know. Uh, so, uh, and uh, also you can sign up for their newsletter. I don't know if you're getting to that, but I love getting your emails. They're so amazing and so full of information of what is happening. Yes. Thank you for doing that. I forgot that. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I mentioned them earlier. I mean, Chase likes to send me love letters. Uh, I... <laughs> That's true. Ghost written by Katie, probably. <laughs> yep. Yes. That's the job of a communications director. Um, yeah. So, Katie, one last question, then we'll let you go. Um, you know, you've you've been around the country quite a bit uh, throughout your life um, as a uh, professional choir school graduate. Um, <laughs> what is the most interesting or unique thing that you've discovered about Utah? Oh man, that's one. That's a question I couldn't prep for. Um, <laughs> that's why we ask it at the end. So, I mean, the unique thing. I mean, so obviously, there's one which is the landscape. I mean, the fact that you can go down to like what's basically like Mars land down in southern Utah, or you know, very forest land up up north. That's unique. Um, I would say 
Um, the culture is very unique as well, which is, you know, fed by, again, we've talked about this, the homogeneity of, of the religious aspect, but also, um, cultural and racial aspect of the state. And the fact that the state is going through the shift that it's going through now is also very unique. Um, I mean, there are other Western states that are experiencing it. For example, you know, Arizona is going through it, um, but I also think that to bring it back to politics, I think that a lot of our ostensibly conservative elected officials, um, I think they identify as conservative because that's kind of been the way that it's always been. But if you get to know them and you hear them talk about specific policy stances that they have, in fact, it's not it's much more complicated than that. And so I would say Utah's Republican party, while it is scarily going further and further, right. There are still a lot of holdouts who, um, who are not reflective of kind of the national hysteria that has taken over the Republican party. And that, that, um, that makes me feel pretty good about, about our state. And I know it's frustrating about how frustrating it can be, but I, I think that's a really unique part about, about Utah. Yeah, I'm a happy Republican now in the state of Utah. I don't think I'll be changing that affiliation. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for your time, Katie. It's been a really enjoyable conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me. I had fun. Well, thanks again to uh, Katie Matheson. Um, Related to Jim Matheson, technically, I guess. <laughs> Which is funny because before the, we started, Matheson. we were asking that. Do you think she's related? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, it, like literally, I've seen her name a million times. I see, like, she's not just Chase Matheson, or Ch- <laughs> she's not just uh, uh, Chase's uh, <laughs> a ghostwriter. Um, right. But she, like, a lot of emails come out from, from her as well out of Better Utah. And truthfully, she probably writes all of them. Uh, and, uh, uh, it was really, really good talking to her, talking to someone that, that knows quite a bit about what's going on on the Hill and can give a uh, a little bit of a different spin sometimes. Um, and I think what she said at the end about, um, you know, our conservative legislature legislators uh, are, they're not all super ultra conservative people. Um, it's something that maybe we do forget. Uh, so it's good to kind of hear that perspective. Yeah, um, for sure. But I think that's going to do it for the show for tonight. If you like what you heard, um, please share it. That's that's the thing that helps us the most. And, um, you know, follow us out on social media, at uh, TNU Podcast. We do not have a TikTok, an official TikTok. Maybe I'll make one because <laughs> I don't use mine anyway. So uh, maybe I'll make an official New Utah Podcast TikTok where we probably won't upload anything because I don't know what we would upload. Chris, <laughs> we can do dances. Let's do dances. Let's uh, do TikTok dances. Never mind. We're not going to be doing a TikTok, folks. Um, <laughs> I actually thought that was Chris, a... Chris, come on. Just do the blinding lights challenge with me. Come on. I actually thought, okay, so when she said TikTok, you know, because we, we've asked people a lot of times uh, throughout the show, like it was Snapchat for a while. Right. Uh, and then, um, you know, no one really was on those platforms. And sometimes people are like Jeremy, where they're an architect and they're not on fucking Instagram, which is like the platform that an architect should be on to share right. 
pictures of their shit that's been in the parade of homes uh, to drum up marketing support for themselves. And so it's just, but it's interesting to me, like how few people are on a platform like Snapchat, which is heavily used for communication uh, in the, I guess, not millennial, but Gen Z, I think is what they call them, uh, era. And TikTok is, I think, even more wider reaching than that. And so the companies and, and organizations that are jumping onto TikTok and doing stuff on TikTok, I think are hitting an audience that's um, not necessarily touched everywhere else. Because guess what I find time to do while I'm on the shitter? Look at TikTok. I look at TikTok more on the shitter than I do Instagram or, or Facebook these days. Uh, and I think that's, that's... So what you're saying is Jeremy missed the Instagram boat. <laughs> he needs to jump on the TikTok. Uh, I don't think so. It wouldn't Instagram's, be a good platform for it. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, actually, Jeremy would probably be somewhat entertaining on TikTok. His daughter <laughs> does it. She could teach him a few things. She's, uh, what, but what not for being like, an architect. Like, like maybe an being a farmer. Our creator. She's a creator now. She got her verification she, last week. Oh, she's got a blue check mark now. I guess I need to check that shit out. I've watched her videos. They're I can't watch them, man. They're not good. They're weird. Yeah. Okay. I shouldn't say they're not good. I don't get it. Yeah. That I don't. I don't either. But she has some that have gone. She's and gotten quite a bit. She's got three or four of them that are in the millions of yeah. views. It's just wild to me. So maybe I'll start a TikTok now. Maybe that'll be <laughs> a new contribution. Maybe that will be my five-year gift to the show. TikTok. Because I'll start a TikTok and I'll do one dance with Jess. And if it's if it's the blinding light thing, Jess, it's like a year since that we was. We can do the Savage Love dance. We'll, we'll do whatever dance happens. There's probably going to be 60 dances between now and the, and the middle of May uh, when, sure. the, when the, the fifth anniversary is. So uh, for the fifth anniversary, maybe I'll do a dance with you. You could do the Give Your Dog the Fake Treat one. Tell you what, I will do a TikTok dance with you. <laughs> do the dance, and I'll be like, "This is my last episode ever." By the way, <laughs> if, you do, if you do the five-year anniversary, I will do the TikTok dance with you, if and only if we enter a cake competition and do the cake that I've been dreaming of hey, for the podcast. If there's not a cake competition to enter, we can't enter it. It got canceled last year. Yeah, but it's a new year, Jess. I'm paying. I'm watching. COVID is over in April, Jess. <laughs> A good, like, a, a quarter of the United States. I COVID thought it was supposed to be over January 20th. It's over oh. in April. April well, by the way, us and, this and, weekend is the one-year anniversary of our two-week quarantine. Oh, uh, where we shut all the businesses down and fucking destroyed people's and it, well, lives. Well, in two weeks, it'll blow over. I'm yeah. saying it's our one-year one anniversary. The, the, exactly. We've done a year of this stuff. COVID's done. We're just, we're over it. We we're haven't. Moving actually done a year yet because i marked it on my calendar the day we stopped and it's well, so it, I, it was it's march 17th because i went to a concert on march 15th and all my friends lost their mind that i was going to a concert because the governor was shutting down the state i was I'm still I, I was still planning to go to india uh and then three days before I was supposed that to go to disneyland that way yeah uh, yeah i was supposed to be in orlando oh yeah orlando. i was supposed to be at a conference so. that got uh shut down yep got, I, I mean, in retrospect, it was probably really good that that conference didn't happen based on what that conference is for. Uh, and the reason it shut down is all these, all the really, really big vendors and hospital systems were like, wait, we're not sending anyone. We'll send like yeah, a that PA. Yeah, that was this week. 
last yep. year that you were supposed to be yep. in hymns for the 8th to the 13th. Yeah, and then that didn't happen. But and it then... didn't, everything wasn't really shut down quite yet. They were just starting to be. Shut, I, went to, I went to brunch the day before they shut everything down at Porcupine Grill. Because I remember yeah. and then the day after, like, it was kind of. Yeah, we went to. Uh, what was we it? We went to Heather's birthday. The night. That yeah. night was That's it. That's right. The next That's night. why I'm saying, like, I think it's more. I've been successful in not catching COVID. I just want to throw that out there. Had a couple small scares. I haven't ever even been tested. So, COVID's over, folks. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll <laughs> see you <laughs> next week uh, when COVID's uh, not around anymore. Um, we'll have a, another show for you. Is that? I don't know if Jess is frozen on screen or she's just like, shut the fuck up and in the show. She shut the fuck up and in the show. That's what that is. Because I she saw her face move when I said that. So. <laughs> Jeremy and I can't see anything because my laptop is doing the slowest update ever. That's true. That's true. Well, have a good week, folks. Uh, whenever you're listening to it, it doesn't matter if it's 20 years from now. Uh, COVID's over officially in April. Uh, so, you know, go live your life to its fullest. Uh, attend large group gatherings without masks, you're totally safe from COVID. 